Well, this morning, we're going to go right into God's Word together. Do you have your Bible? I hope that you do. And you will look with me to uh, your copy of God's Word, and we're going to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter number 19. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 19. Do you have your Bible? I hope that you do, and you'll follow along with me, beginning with verse number 28. Now, it's the very last week of our Savior's life. And he is making an entry into Jerusalem, and we pick it up on this Palm Sunday. We pick up the story of Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that's called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where you're entering and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went and found just as it had been told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their coats on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road And he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture today, I want us to think about it. It's the last week of our Savior's life, of Jesus' life. He's come near to Jerusalem. He's staying in a village uh, very close to Jerusalem called Bethany. It's one of his favorite places to stay when he was in Jerusalem. He stayed at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and uh, they were so near and close to him. It was in Jerusalem that week was the feast of Passover. For, so pilgrims had come from all over the ancient world to worship in Jerusalem on one of these high and holy festivals, the feast of Passover. The city was filled with worshipers, and there were great expectations in the city about, about the Who is this prophet, this one named Jesus, this teacher, this miracle worker, a rabbi, a a man that they say is unlike any other man? Could Could he be the Messiah? Is he a descendant of David? Could he be the liberator that would set us free from Roman occupation and oppression? Would he usher in peace and reign On the throne of David, could this be the Messiah? And Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, and a huge crowd of 
followers and disciples and, and curiosity seekers came near to the Mount of Olives as Jesus is going to make his way down the winding road from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley and then back up to go through the city gates and into the temple complex. And as he's on his way, they begin to praise him. And uh, they found uh, the disciples went and got a, in a neighboring village, a colt, a little donkey that no one had ever ridden on before. And they put their garments on it, and Jesus sat on the colt. And then they began to take off their outer garments and throw them on the road and begin to praise him and worship him as a triumphant king coming into the cities. They cut branches and to wave them, and they were heralding Jesus and saying, Hosanna, meaning, please save us, son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest, they're singing. And all the city was a stir. When Jesus arrived in the city, they said, who is this? And they said, the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus enters triumphantly into Jerusalem. And they are celebrating him. Today, I want to take a few minutes and think about how can we celebrate Jesus? How do we celebrate Jesus as the Messiah? And we looked at the ways that they celebrated him on that day. And I thought, well, how can we celebrate Jesus as Messiah? Now look at the passage that we just read. One of the ways that we celebrate Jesus as Messiah is when we obey his word. Now, he tells his disciples on that day, he said, I want you to go to a neighboring village. And when you go to that neighboring village, you'll find there a, a little foal, a colt, and its mother. And when you see them outside of a building, I want you to untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody asks you about it, then you just tell them that the Lord has need of it. Now, how would you like to have that for your assignment? My assignment, what a big deal, all right? I'm supposed to go to a neighboring village, and I'm supposed to get this animal that I don't know even who the owner is, and could I get in trouble for this? This seems a bit risky to me. It seems silly to me. It doesn't seem like a, a, a cool thing to do. It doesn't seem like a very important thing to do, and I can wonder what the disciples might have thought about that, but you know what? The Bible says they just simply went and did it. They did. The Bible says they did everything just as Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. And that's exactly right. They simply obeyed the command of the Lord. It seemed odd. It seemed silly. seemed risky. But they went and they obeyed. But their obedience, now listen, their obedience enabled others to celebrate the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? How about us? Are you obeying the Lord even in the little things that he tells you to do, when we obey him, then we are celebrating him as the Lord and master of our life. And your obedience can have a greater impact than you could ever imagine. You know what? As they're untying that donkey, then the owners come out and say, hey, hey, dude, what are you guys doing? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And they simply said, fine, go. If the Lord needs it, we'll let it go. They were obedient as well, the owners of that animal. And you know what happened? Listen, their obedience, they did something they never would have realized. Their obedience 
fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, 9 says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples did just as Jesus had told them, and their obedience fulfilled scripture and celebrated the Messiah. You and I, God has called us to obedience to simply obey the Lord. And when we do, his name is glorified in ways beyond our understanding. Are you obeying him? Hmm. You know, I think about the gospel. It's such a simple story. It's a story that you could tell to children. It's a story you can tell to adults. And I remember thinking, it's just a simple story, a simple story that, that God loves us. It's a simple story that he sent his son, and he was born uh, and dwelt among men, and he never did sin, and he lived a perfect life. And this, this Jesus, he, he died lovingly, bearing all of our sins and our sorrows. And this Jesus paid for our sins in full, and this Jesus was buried in a grave, and this Jesus rose again. And if you turn from sin and trust in him, he'll forgive you of all your sin, change you, give you everlasting life. And while the story may seem simple and it may seem just kind of silly, how can you change people's lives with a simple gospel story? But I, God has ordained that God has ordained that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you know what? As a college student, I remember learning to share my faith and risking sharing my faith. As I walked along the campus of the University at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, I learned to share my faith and talk to others about the gospel. And I found people were open to listen to it. And people heard it. I remember one day after a chemistry class, I waited afterwards and was talking to a professor. And I said, sir, may I ask you a question? And I asked him a diagnostic question about whether he never trusted Christ as a savior. And he listened. He says, go ahead, tell me. And so I began to share the gospel and share my witness with him. And as he stood there, he said, yes, I do know him. And yes, I have believed in him. And he has changed my life. Now, let me tell you how you can better share the gospel. And he gave me some coaching advice about how to do it. You know what? When I was a first a pastor, the I'm just a kid, really, I was 21 years old, became a pastor of a church. I remember sharing the gospel at a Bible school, thinking, will this really change anybody's life? And two or three young children prayed to receive Christ as Savior. I said, is this making any difference? Yes, that did make a difference, because I went to the homes of those children and shared the gospel with their moms and dads, and their moms and dads listened, and the Spirit of God convicted them, and they became believers, and in a few weeks, 16 people were baptized and following Jesus Christ. God takes simple things that he's ordained, and when we obey him, we celebrate the Messiah. Are you obeying him in your life? If not, walk for him. Live, walk with him. Live your life for him. Surrender to him and obey his word. Amen. Second thing, I think we celebrate the Messiah whenever God is passionately praised. 
that we praise him passionately. And that's exactly what these disciples did. They took their garments off. They laid them on the beast of burden, the little foal. And the, the, the donkey makes its way down the Palm Sunday road from that Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. I've been there. And as they go down that winding road, they begin to praise him passionately. They were lifting their voices and they were celebrating the Messiah. Their voice was lifted up loudly. Their hearts were filled with joyful praise and their words were Hosanna, meaning, meaning save, save us, please, save us. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And they're lifting their hearts, lifting their hands, lifting their voices, and they're praising God. You were built to praise God. He, he has built you and saved you and ordained that you would praise him. They praised him individually, and they praised him corporately. The whole multitude began to praise him, and they praised him persistently. Even though there were critics, they didn't stop. They kept praising the Lord. Are you praising him with your life? Praise, listen close. Praise is connected in what he's done for us. It says in verse number four, they praised him for all the mighty things he has done, for all the miracles that they had seen. The second thing praise is, it's grounded in what we believe about who he is. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Who is Christ for you? They were saying he's the son of David. He's the prophet of Galilee. He's Messiah. He is Savior. Many of this multitude really believed in him. Oh, there were some fickle ones that maybe later even turned on him. But among this multitude... They were glorifying and praising God. Let me ask you a question. Who's Jesus to you? What has Jesus done for you? How has he changed your life? Does your heart rejoice today in him? Does your mouth praise him today? Psalm 63, in verse number two, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at this, this psalm. Psalm 63 in verse number two, it says, O oh God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Do you feel dry and weary? Praise him. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat and with rich foods. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon the bed, meditate you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for you. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Listen. The Lord is with us. I will lift up my hands and my voice to his name. I will praise him and celebrate in him. Now, what happens when we praise the Lord? 
Well, here's what happens. When we begin to praise the Lord with rejoicing and singing and giving glory and honor to God, then he is honored. He is glorified because he alone is worthy of our praise. And secondly, when we praise the Lord, I'm telling you, it builds hope in your own soul. You begin to look not at yourself and your circumstances and the hardships that we face, but we look up. We look to one greater than us, the one that holds us, the one that's worthy of praise, and one who's sovereign, and one who's king, and one who's in control of it all, and I can trust in him. It's amazing, and it's, it's transformational, because he is greater than our circumstance. He's greater than the hardship. Do you believe that? He is greater than this situation that we're facing. He's greater than whatever's taking place in your life. He is sovereign and he's loving and he's all powerful and he's all wise and he's all good and he is with you and he loves you. Praise his name. Don't withhold your praise. Lavish your praise on him. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they will be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's raise a hallelujah. Let's sing praises to God. Amen? Let's lift our voices to him. And I love that song that we sing. I I raise a hallelujah greater, louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Amen. Let's praise God. Amen. Praise brings strength into your life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He strengthens you and upholds you as you praise him. Praise builds trust into your life. Are you praising him? Do you praise him with your heart? Are you praising him with your lips? Are you praising him with your voice? Are you praising him with your hands? Are you praising him with your very being. Corporate worship is so important. Church family, listen. I can't wait for this pandemic to be behind us. Amen. I can't wait till we're all gathered together in the same building, encouraging and praising one another. It's so difficult not to be able to see each other face to face. I don't know, we're doing it through the camera and technology, and I'm grateful for that. But there's something that happens in corporate worship that can't happen anywhere else. But I'll tell you something. Last Sunday, I was sitting at home watching our services. I'd recorded my message earlier. And I was sitting in my kitchen at the bar, at the stool, at, at, at my house, uh, a bar stool and, at our kitchen counter. And as I was there, I was watching our service on my iPad. And my heart just, just began to worship. I started singing. Now, I'm the only one in the house. I've been stuck in that house for 21 straight days. It was miserable being alone. But in that miserable feeling, I could have just, and there were at times when I did just feel sorry for yourself and feel alone or discouraged. But at that kitchen 
counter, as I was watching on my iPad, sitting there, I began to sing. Andrew and Lindsay were singing. And I was watching Christy as she played. And I just began to sing. And then there's nobody else in the house but me. And I was doing this. And I was praising the Lord. And I, I began to weep. And I began to... And then well, the coolest thing, I'm watching the scroll on the bottom of the Facebook page. And people are sharing praises and thoughts and ideas during the message and during the uh, singing, and as they are encouraging one another, and I'm reading those things, and I'm just, I'm just rejoicing because I know I'm not alone, but I'm in the middle of this storm, and I am praising the Lord, and he is with me. It is the most amazing thing that God had provided in that moment. Are you praising him in your life? Have you turned your heart to him and praising him? God is speaking to you, and he's saying to you, open your heart to me, praise me, and celebrate me as the Messiah, the Lord and Master of your life. When you refuse to praise, it causes you to have an inward focus. When you refuse to praise, it causes you to become discouraged. And when you refuse to pray, it discourages others. A praise, it discourages others. Don't do that. Give, lift your voice and praise the Lord. Amen. Well, there's always critics to praise, isn't there? So on that day, the disciples are all praising him, and as they're praising him and worshiping him, some critics begin to criticize and say, you need to hush your disciples because uh, they're being too boisterous in this praise. Hush them. And Jesus said, if they refuse to praise, now listen, The rocks themselves will cry out. You know what Jesus said? He said, if they quit praising me, we're going to have nothing but rock music here. That's what we're going to have. It's going to be praising the Lord in a way that you've never heard because this day was ordained for me. My friends, don't withhold your praise. You remember Saul's daughter? Saul's daughter was married to David, King David, and she had become very bitter in her life. And when David was moving the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of David, he was leading the procession. They were stopping and sacrificing every step of the way. And as they would make animal sacrifices, the people would worship and praise God. And David becomes so filled with the Spirit that he is dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. He sheds his garments and he's in his linen ephod and he's worshiping the Lord. And when he finishes leading the children of Israel and leading the band and leading the worship service, King David comes to his own home And wants to bless his own home and his own family. But his own wife comes out. And in great sarcasm, she said, Oh, how the king distinguished himself today before the people, before the young maidens that saw you dancing foolishly. And she cast through water and criticism on David because she was bitter and angry at God, bitter and angry at David, bitter and angry about her life. And the Bible says concerning her, Michael was barren for the rest of her life. Why was she barren? She had no fruitfulness in her life because she had no joy and praise to God in her life. 
Listen, you can't live a fruitful and productive life for God when your life is filled with bitterness and self-centeredness and emptiness and you refuse to praise God. When Jesus arrives in the temple complex, he overturns the money changers' tables and, and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. They bring the lame and the blind and those who are hurting to Jesus and he heals them all in the temple complex. And then the young children come in and they begin praising Jesus, saying Hosanna to the glory to God in the highest. And they start lifting their voices in praise. And the religious authorities want the children to be hushed up and to silence their praise. The enemy does not want us to praise God. Sometimes the harshest criticism of praise is leveled by the most religious people. There are people that act religious, that keep a bunch of laws and rules, legalistic, judgmental, but they're not praising God. That is not to be of, uh, that should not be us. You know, when Jesus is walking toward the temple the next day and he sees a fig tree and that fig tree is in full leaf, Jesus goes to the tree and he looks through the figs looking for fruit, but there's none. He curses the tree and it withers from its roots. The next day, the disciples said, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus said, have faith in God. He said the thing missing in Jerusalem is there's a lot of religious activity, but there's no real faith in God. Listen, the Lord's looking for faith in you, trust in you, life in you, and fruitfulness in you. And it begins when we trust God, obey God, and praise God. Are you doing that in your life? When we don't, we become so self-absorbed. I fear that that's what's happening. So many of our people are just consumed with fear of circumstance and loss and what might be happening, that they're refusing to give glory and honor and faith and trust in him. Don't be like that. I'm reminded in Habakkuk chapter 3, he said, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, though there, though there might not be any cattle in the stall, though the economy may be failing, yet I will praise you. Will you praise him in the middle of the storm? Trust him and celebrate him. Finally, we also do, we celebrate the Messiah when we give sacrificially to God and we trust in him. We give sacrificially to God. Notice with me in the passage of scripture in chapter number 21, uh, Jesus is in, this is the last days of his life, and he's in the treasury of the temple, and he's watching as they come through and they're giving their offerings. And there are many very religious people giving large sums of money, but in chapter 21, verse 1, Jesus looked and he saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. She trusted the Lord, and it got the Lord's attention. She gave more than all the others, Jesus said, because she gave everything she had to live on. She gave herself first to the Lord. And that's exactly right. There are many people that are religious takers. 
They devour widows' homes. They steal. They wear their long robes and they pretend to be religious. But inside, it's all about them. This woman, it was all about God. She said, I don't have anything to give but these two little coins. Well, all I got, I'm giving to God. And it, nobody else noticed it, but the Lord noticed it. And I'll tell you what, when you give your life in sacrifice to God, he notices. It gets his attention. Why? Because she gave. She gave everything. Because that's who God is. He gave his everything for us. He gave his son for us. He emptied the treasure of heaven so that you and I might be saved. And Jesus himself poured out his life so that we might be saved. Jesus didn't hold anything back. He spent his life so that we might have life. That's the greatest news I know in the world. And when he sees his followers trust God in such a way, it gets his attention. Are you faithfully giving yourself to God? Are you giving your tithes, your offerings? Are you, are you giving your service to God? Are you, are you willing to give all that you have to him and surrender him as Lord and Master and King of your life? Christy's mom and dad were on a mission trip one time to Kenya, and in the midst of the worship service, they were singing and celebrating, and they were taking an offering. They had an offering basket at the front, and they were giving. And they would come forth and, and, and forward and just give their little coins or paper money or dollars or whatever they had to give. And there was one woman there. She didn't have any. She was so poor. She had nothing to give. And she walked over to the offering basket and she sat it on the floor and she put one foot in and then she put another and she stood before God and said, all I have, I give to you. How about you? In Mark's 14th chapter, there's this great story similar to this. It's the last moments of Jesus' life. He's back in Bethany at Simon the leper's house and his Lots of people from the village are there to hear the Messiah and the rabbi speak. And in comes Mary of Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home. And Mary has something that she's kept for it's a treasure. It is a box. It's an alabaster box and it's filled with the finest nard perfume. Very expensive. Probably a dowry gift. It's, it's extraordinarily expensive. And she breaks it and she lavishes it on Jesus. From his head to his toes, she wipes and washes his feet with her hair and her tears and, and, and with this costly perfume. And the disciples, among them Judas, begin to criticize her act of worship and said, what a waste. And Jesus said, it's not a waste. What she did was good for me. They said, well, that's worth 300 denarii, 10 months of wages, and she just wasted it on Jesus. But she lavished her love on him. He said, it's not a waste. It's a good thing, a beautiful thing she's done for me. And not only is it a beautiful thing, it's a greater thing that you understand. She's prepared my body for burial. And not only is it a greater thing, it's a gospel thing, wherever the gospel will be preached. From now on, what she did will be told. Why? Because it's a picture of what God did for us. He poured out and lavished his grace on us. Wow. What a loving and awesome God that we have. Jesus died for us, laid down his life for us, died our death, paid our debt, 
bore our sins and sorrows in himself, and he purchased us with his life. Will you celebrate the Messiah this year? Will you celebrate him this week? Will you celebrate him in your life? Will you give your life to him? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Takeaways today. Handful of takeaways. Number one, are you obeying him? Are you listening to his voice? Second takeaway, are you praising him? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Third takeaway today, are you giving to him? Are you trusting him? And a fourth takeaway today, have you received his great love for you? He loves you. He died for you. He wants you to make, a son or, make you a son or a daughter. He has a great life for you. Will you turn from sin and trust in him? Is he changing your life? Is he? He wants to change you for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray right now in Jesus' name that God will think about how they celebrated the Messiah and that God, that we would celebrate you in our lives by obeying you, by trusting in you, that we would celebrate you by praising you and giving sacrificially to you all of our lives. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.